Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Have you ever thought about making a midlife career change while raising a family? A change to a completely unrelated career you already spent thousands of hours and multiple degrees to pursue? This week, my guest is Jillian Mutafis, a leading real estate agent in the Metro Detroit area. The mother to three girls, Jillian discusses her non-traditional journey into real estate from being an elementary school teacher for 12 years before deciding to make a change. Jillian talks about why she changed to a more flexible career that would allow her more time with her three daughters. Changing careers is a topic that many people grapple with and especially parents. Jillian talks about the struggle to make it work, especially in the early years when she lost money as a realtor, and how she tried being both a teacher and real estate agent part-time, and the signs she finally received to push her into real estate on a full-time basis. Please enjoy my conversation with Jillian Mutafis. So my guest on today's podcast on Emotional Balance Sheet is Jillian Mutafis. Jillian is a real estate agent in the Metro Detroit area and probably more important, a mother to three young and growing daughters. So Jillian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Paul. So I think what we'll start with is, I think one of the most interesting things about you is how you got into real estate. So why don't you start with a little bit about your background, how long you've been in real estate, and then really how you transitioned into real estate, because I think that's going to be really interesting to a lot of our viewers today. My story is a little different maybe than some. I went to Michigan State, got my degree in teaching, got my master's. My plan was to teach, and I did that at the elementary school level, public schools for 12 years. During that time, met my husband, got married, started having a family, and it was after we had had two of our daughters, you slowly learn how challenging that is and how just trying to balance the family and work, and it's not easy. So I knew I wanted to make a change, but when you're in something for that long and your degrees in that and you gone to school for that, it's, it's hard to make that change. But I did. And when I was actually pregnant with my youngest, I went, I took the test and passed. I was still in teaching for a few more years. And I eventually stopped teaching, went full-time real estate. And really my goal was to have a career, but to just kind of do it enough to make money and do what we needed to do. But my goal was to be with my kids and have that family time and have the flexibility in my job, which I did not have teaching, to be the mom that I wanted to be and to volunteer and to help. 
And here we are, fast forward almost nine years later, and I do not regret it one bit. The only thing I regret is not doing it sooner. This job has given me so much more than I anticipated, but helped me reach that goal. I'm able to, I've, over the years, I've been able to volunteer at my kids' school and be involved in the community and the district. I've been able to be here more, have that flexibility. And at the same time, it gave me, which I never anticipated, a job that I thoroughly love and enjoy. And I've been successful at it. And a lot of that is just through the relationships and friendships that, ironically, I've made through my years of teaching, but even more so through my years of volunteering and being with my kids and the families I've met. I really always do say that real estate, it's not advertising, it's not sales, it's the relationships and the connections and the friendships because you're helping someone buy or sell their home and that's a big deal. So got into real estate and haven't looked back and I love it. I love what it's given me and I love what I'm able to give people and I'm very thankful. I'm very blessed. There's a whole lot to unpackage there because you hit on two of the things I want to address a little later on in our conversation is one, how you've grown and two, like your involvement in the community. Cause I know you're really involved and that's one of the ways that actually I got to know you a little bit on being on the PTA board for our kids' elementary school. So if we go back when you were thinking about changing careers, how did you decide on real estate? Because a lot of families, couples, partners, husbands and wives, they may not be exactly, I know a lot of them aren't happy in their current careers and would like to make a switch. But a lot of it comes down to finances and to making that big jump because I think you hit the nail on the head there. You went to Michigan State for undergrad then you went back for a grad degree for teaching. I mean, you had a lot of time and a lot of emotional time, a lot of financial time, like invested in Really, I owe it to my mom. My mom has been in real estate since I was, gosh, maybe 10 years old. So she, I've watched her do it all these years. And when Chloe, my oldest, was born, she's 13 now, my mom was actually, she had her career, but she was watching Chloe. So I would go to work and my mom would split between her and my husband. They would watch Chloe and then when we had Lexi. So I watched her have the flexibility in her job to watch my kids. And at the beginning, it was okay. But then when I had the second and knew I was about to have a third, it becomes a lot. It becomes too much. And so watching her experience and knowing that she was doing this, she was making it work and didn't have quite the nine to six or the nine to five limitations that I had. She was flexible. When Chloe started preschool, she was taking her to preschool. So that's what I felt like I was missing out on in my life with my kids and the things that were important to me that I wanted to do. So that was where the idea came from of a career I could have with the flexibility. However, as you just said, once you've devoted that many years into your education and getting to this point, it was hard to make a switch. So I thought about it for two to three years before I actually did it. And even when I took my test and I had my license, I still continued to teach. 
But what I realized is you can't do this job part-time if you do it the way you want to do it. So I was teaching. I'd sell a house here or there, but it didn't amount to anything. What actually, I ended up my very last year, I went part-time teaching and I job shared and that didn't work. I was home more, but I was working 80% of the time to make half my salary. It just didn't make sense. I struggled with that that year, struggled very much with that. And I kept saying, I need a sign. I just need a sign. And I walked in in January, one day after school, our superintendent announced that we all needed to meet in the library at the end of the day. And I walked in and he announced that our school was closing. They were redistricting. They were closing two of the schools in the district and mine was one of them. And I had this calmness and this peace over me. And I just said, Jill, there's your sign. What else do you need? And I walked out of there. Everybody else, all of my colleagues, bless them. They were crying. They were upset. And I went home that night with a sense of peace and just thought, okay, there's my sign. And I think what people don't understand about real estate, and this is where a lot of people will come to me and say, I'd love to do this on the side. And they think it's easy. They think, oh, I'll sell a house or two and make some extra money. What people don't realize is, the expenses that actually go into real estate. So for the first year or two, I actually lost money. And even my husband said, we do our taxes. Why are you doing this? This doesn't make any sense. And I was like, just let me get into it. Let me wrap up teaching here. And then it wasn't until I finally was done teaching, really got into it. And then again, now that I never expected the success, I never expected to love this job like I love it. I did hope that it would give me that flexibility to be with my kids and, like you said, be involved in the schools and the community. And it has given me that, but it's also given not just for my family, but for myself. It's given me a purpose. I mean, I have amazing clients. People will say, Do you miss teaching? And I miss the kids, but just like I'm part of the Girl Scouts and the schools and the PTA. And so I get my kid fix in other ways. Yeah, it's not like you're at a longing for being around kids. Not at all. And I love them. And that was the part of teaching that I loved that I still get. I just don't get paid for it anymore. But that's almost better because I don't have to be there. I want to be there. So that was kind of how it took a little bit of time. And I've had people say to me, you've inspired me to make that switch or because it was not easy. It was not easy at all. And it was, like I said, for a couple of years you do question, should I have just stayed where I was? But looking back here now, almost nine years later, like I said, I'm very blessed that this is how the cards have fallen for us. I think that's really interesting because we share, I think, that similar background because I think most people, well, I don't know, most people know, but I started TAMA when my triplets were born 10, well, it'll be 10 years ago in December, but I kept my full-time career. So I started my well-planning business as a, I think the word today that we use is a side hustle. And I was fortunate where a lot of people were willing to give me a chance. Granted, there was some crossover between my corporate finance job and what I was doing in some degrees with wealth planning. But still, I think you hit on this is that selling or buying a house is one of the most emotional decisions that you're going to make in your life. And it also has one of the biggest financial consequences or ties to it as well. Just like working with somebody like me as a wealth advisor, there's a lot of emotion in there and a lot of 
financial anxiety and people want to split the two apart and it's very, very difficult. And I think one of the questions I have, so I'll just ask it now is I hear people, well, why do I even need a real estate agent? And I think just like having an advisor, from my perspective, having a real estate agent helps take some of that emotion out of it to where you're making a clear decision. How would you answer that question? It's funny because over the years, you do have people that say, oh, I'm going to try this on my own and I'm going to see how it goes. And just like you said, this is not something that people do in everyday life. And so there are a lot of behind the scenes decisions and things that are going on that if this is not what you do every day, you don't know. There is a statistic out there and it fluctuates, but you actually end up getting more for your house when you hire an agent because for lack of a better term, they know what they're doing and you may not. So when you hire somebody, you're getting their expertise. I mean, especially looking at this market right now, I mean, who would have thought a pandemic would hit and the real estate market would take off? And so home sales now are on the rise. And I have several clients, I mean, buyers, you have to be ready and you have to act fast. So if you are not, if you don't have someone there advising you, kind of thinking outside the box of how to get your offer accepted. I mean, I can't tell you how many deals over the past summer or fall where my clients have been up against five to 10 to a dozen offers. And if you're just putting an offer out there and hoping for the best and crossing your fingers, good luck. Because in this market, especially, I've had several different things where you look at waiving certain things, the terms of your contract, an escalation clause. I've gotten a few clients in the past few months where someone would say, well, what does that mean? I mean, an escalation clause is where you basically tell the seller that you will trump somebody's offer by a certain amount. We always cap it, but up to a certain amount. And I can't tell you how many times that has worked and my clients walked away with the house. So just those little things that somebody might not know or understand, and that's on the buying side, on the selling side, the little things that you can do to market your house that the everyday person doesn't understand or realize. I mean, even photographs. I look at Zillow and the people will go in and take their own pictures When you hire me, I pay a professional photographer to go out and take pictures of your home. And no one's going to buy your home unless you get them out there in the first place. So just those little things that do make a big difference. And having someone there to guide you. And I can think of a couple this summer too that said they thought the house was priced too high and they were up against multiple offers. We got it. And they said, is it too much? And by the end of that sale, I mean, she was thanking me profusely. We would never have gotten our dream house. And at the end, it was $6,000 more. And she's like, but we got it. And like you said, it's an emotional decision. You're not buying a pair of shoes. You're not buying a blouse. You're buying a home. And it is, it does take that emotion out. And it can be make it or break it when it comes to selling or buying a home. We've talked about this over the years as we've known each other about the trends in real estate. And I think that's one of the, fascinating things with this whole pandemic is how we went from like home ownership 
declining because of a lot of it gets thrown on the millennials not wanting to buy a house and have families and things like that because of reasons within or without their control. A lot of it ties back to the amount of student loan debt that kids are taking on these days. And But it's like we've done a 180 with this pandemic where homeownership is now approaching record highs again, which is just amazing. And ironically, I was just talking to a real estate agent up in the Traverse City, Michigan area on Friday, and he brought up that escalation clause. And he's like, yeah, it's like when you go to eBay, you can bid on something and you can make a cap. I'm going to bid $50 on this thing, but I have a cap of 100. That's basically the escalation clause. Not many people do that or know about it. I mean, even agents. And that's the thing. I mean, you really need to have an experienced agent, an agent that is there for you that knows these ins and outs. And there's a lot of other things too. I mean, that's an example, but even waiving an appraisal. Now, if you're mortgaging the home, you can't necessarily waive an appraisal because the lender requires it, but you can say, I'm willing to go this far over what it appraises at. And most of the times, nine out of 10 times, they don't have to because the house actually appraises. And that's again, where I would explain that whole concept to my client, you probably won't have to go over. But if you're offering the same amount that somebody next to you is offering, putting it in writing that you will do that if that happens, could get you the house. And coming back to it, if it does happen, is this house worth $5,000 more to you? Yeah, most of the time it is. So just those little things to just be aware of where, again, for your everyday person, this is not something they do every day and they don't fully understand what that means or what they're signing. I want to ask two questions when it comes to marketing your house. So whether, first, let's start with you're the seller. Walk us through a few key things that as a seller, you're advising homeowners to do. Then on the opposite side, when you're the buyer, what two, three, four things are you advising your clients to look at specifically? So let's start with the seller. Like I'm selling my house. What do I need to get this thing ready to get the amount that I want from it? So usually I set up an appointment and it's simply to just walk through the home. The number one I would say is for people to declutter their house. And we all have lives. Like you said, you have four kids. I have three. My house I have papers on the counter. I have this experiment that my eight-year-old did yesterday that's on the table. You have stuff in your house. The reason model homes show so well is because nobody actually lives there. So we know that. That's a great point. (laughs) It is. Nobody lives there. There are not school papers on the counter. There are not experiments going on, clothes on the floor. But in real life, that's how we live. So the biggest thing I could say is try to... When it's time for showings, you want to ahead of time declutter your home so that when showings start, you can have everything off the counter, you can have everything off the floor, minimize your furniture, minimize even your decorations, just simplify. I have people many times that, especially if you're moving anyway, you're going to have to pack up your house. So why not do it ahead of time to declutter and Just move everything out of there that doesn't need to be. The less furniture you have in a room, the bigger it looks. If you have a love seat that never really fit in the room, but you love it, 
this is the time to take it out. And again, if you're moving anyway, you're going to move it eventually. So take it out. So that's the first thing is just declutter, 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 simplify, get rid of things that you don't use, get rid of things. People will open your cupboards too. People, they want to know their space. How big is the linen closet? Do I have space for my towels? So just organize, organize, declutter like you never have. And that's probably the number one. The other thing is maintenance. When somebody comes into a home, you would be amazed at what people think are red flags. And again, this is, I guess, the advantage of having an agent with you, where someone might say, oh, look, there's been water damage in the corner. And you say, no, that's simply nail pop here. You can see the nail pops here and here. It just wasn't patched and it wasn't done correctly. And now this is what you see. But people aren't experienced in that and they don't always know. So anything like that, walk around your house and really examine things that somebody might see. For example, a nail pop in a corner. It would take you half an hour to just patch it, paint it, make it look okay. But that might be something that someone thinks is something more. The roof is leaking or it's water damage. And that's one more thing as they're walking around the house. Doesn't mean they necessarily won't buy it. But it's one more thing they're adding to the list of negatives. So if you think of it like that, if somebody's walking through a house, they want to know that it's been maintained. So if you have a faucet that's leaking, fix it. Because it's going to come up in the inspection anyway, and you're probably going to have to fix it then. So why have it leaking when somebody's walking through and touring your house for the first time? Because that can send a red flag. Oh, well, something breaks and they don't necessarily take care of it or they don't fix it. People want to know that this house has been maintained, and that's huge. While they can't walk in and know that automatically, those are the things that are the weeds in the front yard. Have those been... So just all of those little things where you think, well, that's silly. Like, is somebody really not going to buy a house because there's weeds in the front lawn? No, but possibly if there's enough of those things where they think, oh, these people really are not maintaining the house. It's the perception. It is, absolutely. So, I mean, those are definitely the largest things. People will say to me, should I redo my kitchen before we sell our house? Should I put 40 grand into my kitchen? And my response is always, okay, will your house sell faster and sell for more if you redo your kitchen? Yes, 100% it will. Will it sell for 40,000 more? No. So that's where. I come through and we sort of talk about what are the things that, how are you going to get the most bang for your buck? If you're going to redo your basement and you're going to do it five years before you move and you're going to get time and joy out of it and use it, then great, do that. But if you're really doing it right before you sell, sometimes there are things you can do besides, like I said, regutting a whole kitchen. Maybe you paint the cabinets or something like that. So when people walk in, It looks nice, but you didn't just sink 40 grand into a kitchen and then you might sell your home for 15 to 20,000 more. And again, if I had a crystal ball, this job would be a lot easier, (laughs) but you kind of make that call and decide with the seller. It's never a bad idea. If your carpet is worn, carpet is something that I usually do say yes, unless you can just have it professionally cleaned and get the same result. 
a fresh coat of paint. There is something about walking into a house and people will say, well, they might not like the color I choose, so I'm not going to waste my time. But then people walk in and there are holes everywhere and gouges in the walls and things like that. So again, it comes back to that maintenance issue. If you go with neutral colors, there's never a time where I would say painting your house is not going to benefit you in some way. Again, it's usually house to house. You kind of walk through and discuss. And then the biggest thing is pricing it right, too. And that's where having someone to guide you in that. Because I will tell you many times, if you price your house correctly, you are going to walk away profiting more than you would if you put it up too high and then it sits and it's too high and you end up having to drop it. And that's a discussion that I always have with my clients because people don't, well, let's just put it up and if it doesn't sell, we'll drop it. Yeah, you can do that. But in the end, if you had just priced it where you wanted to be, you might have multiple offers and have well over what you're going to make if you, rather than pricing it too high to start with. So that's, again, having somebody to sort of guide you in that and look at the comp, someone that really understands what they're looking at. Yeah, I feel like I see that over and over and just the neighborhoods that I live in. I'm sure you live in a similar neighborhood as well. Like, you know, the ones that are priced right because they're on the market for like days, not weeks. And they sell for more. And I think one thing too, between buyers and sellers, when you go to sell a house, you think about what you've put into the house, what you've done to the house, the improvements that you've made. When you're purchasing a house, you're looking at what do I still need to do? You're looking at two totally different things. And that's where having agents to kind of come together and say, look at it from this perspective. Because yes, you could say, I did the landscaping, I did the deck, all of this, I put all this money into it as a seller. But the buyer's coming in and saying, but the kitchen needs to be redone and the bathroom needs to be done. and these So it's just, you're looking at it from two very different points of views in the same house as a seller or as a buyer. That's a good point to make because you're just coming at it at different angles, obviously. So let's go to now you're the buyer. What are the two or three things from a buyer's perspective that are critical? So first and foremost, have your pre-approval. And this is something that sounds so simple, but people call me all the time and they say, I want to start looking. And I will say, okay, have you talked to a lender yet? And they say, well, no, I want to start looking first. You really need to talk to a lender because they're going to guide you. You might have a number in your head of what you can afford. You might be very off. A lot of times people are on target, especially if they've bought other homes and they know what they're looking for. But you still want to talk to a lender. You still need that because at the end of the day, to even make an offer on a home, you have to have a pre-approval. And when you're pre-approved, say it takes you six months to find a home, all you have to do, they don't start from scratch. You call them and you say, hey, I need an updated pre-approval. And it takes five minutes instead of four days. So you just need to be ahead of the game in that. Have your pre-approval so we're not wasting my time, your time, the lender's time once it comes through. You just need to be prepared. And especially in this market, people will call and say, oh, this house went up this morning. Let's go look at it. 
well, we can go look at it, but you're not pre-approved yet. So we can go look at it and they might have four offers by tomorrow morning and I'm still waiting for your pre-approval. And I can send it over without, but they're not going to choose your offer over all these other people that have a pre-approval. So it sounds simple, but call a lender, get your paperwork in, make sure you know, and it's helpful. I mean, they'll give you an estimated payment. They do need to know the house because your taxes and insurance based upon where you are changes, but they can give you an idea. So yes, absolutely be pre-approved. In this market, and really in any market, be ready. Be ready to act fast. So a lot of people, they go on Zillow or some of these other sites, and what they don't realize is there are many times there's a delay there. So the houses that hit the market don't show up on Zillow right away or Trulia or some of these other sites. So when I have a client that's actively looking, I put them in our MLS system whatever their criteria is, and they receive automatic emails daily. So anything new that comes onto the market that day, they receive the email. That's the blessing and the curse of my job because I might wake up at seven o'clock on Tuesday morning and think, oh, it's an easy day. And by 10 o'clock, I have two people calling saying, we've got to go see this house and we'll go see houses and I'm writing offers and my day has exploded on me. So that happens often, but they're doing the right thing. And that's the thing you need to make it work. People will call and say, oh, this house just went up. I'm really interested. It'll be Tuesday. And they'll say, but I can't make it over there until Saturday. That's fine. But just know come Saturday, it might be gone. And that happens often. So as a buyer, if you're really serious and you're actively looking, you need to be on the ball because especially right now, I mean, home inventories are low. They're very low. We need more houses. And even though it has improved slightly since the summer. There are many more buyers right now than there are sellers. So if you are thinking about selling, it is a great time. So for your buyers, just don't miss that opportunity. And then coming back to what we said about thinking outside the box, having an agent that's thinking outside the box, whether it's an escalation clause or saying you'll pay this much more as far as an appraisal. I mean, I've had people waiving inspections, although. That's one thing I would never recommend to a client is to waive an inspection only because you just never know. That seems really risky. (laughs) That's very risky. So I would never recommend to somebody to do that. But some of these other things that we've discussed, yeah, I mean, it's just thinking outside of the box and going from there and then just being ready when the lender asks for something. Because that's one thing too, lenders right now, I mean, they are swamped with Rates are so low because that's another thing that has added to this pandemic or not. Our interest rates are at a historical low right now. So that has been a driving force in all of this. And people are wanting to buy homes. You're under 3%. It's amazing. Yeah. The amount of refinancing I've done with clients this year, it's been absolutely unreal. So we have inventories that are at a historic low. We also have interest rates that are at a historic low. So for that, for a buyer, you have to be on the ball and you have to be ready to act if it's a house that you want. I'm sure you get this question because this is actually, besides what's going on with the stock market, the other interesting thing or question I've been getting is, well, should I look at selling my house because I know I'm going to be able to get a lot for it? And depending on, obviously, everybody's situation is different. 
But I say on the flip side, I'm like, okay, you know that you can sell your house for more today. Where are you going to go? Because more likely you're going to have to buy it at a higher price. Unless you're downsizing, of course. And that's very true. And that's where you just have to wait. If you're thinking about buying your house and then you have somewhere to go for a couple of years and let it settle, I do think it will settle late 2021 to early 2022 is what the experts are saying. They're saying if you're going to make a bet, bet on that, that it'll all kind of settle and be back to how it was before COVID at that time at the housing market. I mean, when we had the recession before, that was a true housing market fail. I mean, that was the recession. This is not. This is not a housing crisis. So even though we've seen this, like I said, yes, we have some waves here, but I do think it will settle by early 2022 and be back to normal. So if you're downsizing or you have a second home or something like that, that you want to get rid of, that makes sense. And not that it doesn't make sense even the other way, but you sort of have to weigh because if somebody's paying you more for yours, then you're probably paying more for the one you're purchasing. And that's just how it goes. So you have to make sure that what you're doing makes sense. So one of the things we've talked a lot about how this is such an emotional decision and really the pros of working with somebody like you as a real estate agent and flip side, working with somebody like me on the wealth management side. How is technology changing the real estate industry? Because you hear a lot about Zillow and what they're trying to do. And from my perspective, they're actually trying to cut somebody like you, the real estate agent, out of the transaction. And so obviously there's pros and cons about that, some of which we've talked about. But I guess, where do you stand on that? What's your take? It's interesting because your average consumer views it a little bit differently than it actually is. And to be honest, these programs have been around for a long time. And there's a reason why they've never really taken off. You're really taking out the human element of it. But with that human element comes, like you said, this is an emotional decision. And it really falls along the same lines of even a for sale by owner. You don't have the person that has your best interest at heart or guiding you through. They're simply trying to make a sale. And that's one thing coming back to what I said at the very beginning, I feel blessed in this career because I feel honored when somebody chooses me to go through this journey with them. Cause like you said, I mean, when people are selling their home, this could be a lifelong home that they've lived in and loved. A lot of times it's because of a divorce or a death it could be kids selling their parents home or, I mean, I've had all of these scenarios several times. And like you said, some of these programs that Zillow has and that they've come up with, they've actually been around for a while. I think Quicken too has something now that they're doing. At the end of the day, what people don't realize is when you hire an agent and you hire a broker, you're paying a percentage, but a lot of the extra costs that come with you when you do these other programs are already embedded in that. So a lot of your title work and your and all of that is already there. Same thing for sale by owner. When you go and you sell something for sale by owner, people say, oh, I'm saving this. But what you don't realize is you're saving this, but you're paying all these additional things that come with having an agent. So it's definitely not apples to apples when you're comparing these programs. And like you said, I mean, the biggest thing 
99% of my business is referrals and connections and people that know me personally. And I will take care of you from the beginning to the end. And people come back and they send their family and their friends to me. And that's the best referral I could have. I guarantee that's not happening. Oh, Quicken, they were great. It's just not the same. I liken it very similar to our industry where what's called a robo-investor, they've been around for years. And I know two or three years ago within our industry, there's a lot of talk of how these robo-investors were going to drive human wealth advisors such as myself like out of business. And it's actually gone 180 degrees the other way because of what you just mentioned is that I don't know how many times we said the word emotional today, but it goes back to that factors where somebody like you or somebody like me, we help take that emotion out of this life event, this life transition. Like you just mentioned, you're dealing with people who are going through a divorce, a loss of a loved one, very similar to what I do. And that even heightens that emotional sensitivity around those life transitions. So that's kind of been my take on this too. I'm like, I think it'll be a really long time and I don't ever see like real estate agents necessarily like going out of business, just like I don't see wealth advisors going out of business either because humans are humans. They're going to want that human interaction. It's not just a normal transaction. Like you said, it's not like you're buying a house every year. It happens so infrequently. And that's one of the things I talk a lot with my clients about is that helping them through the big transactions, the big transitions, because that's where it's really life-changing. It's not the $5 that you spend at Starbucks every day, buying a house, deciding to get married, going through divorce, things like that, changing careers. Those are the big things. Absolutely. So I want to swing back to one item we touched on earlier, and you just touched on it just briefly, is how you've grown your business as a real estate agent. And talk about those relationships, how you've gotten involved with the community, because there's a lot of similarities to what I do too. But I'd like you to walk us through like how that's worked. And it's funny because as you were saying that, I remember this conversation we had a few years ago when we were just starting to get to know each other and kind of talking about that. And like I said, I mean, 99% of my business is connections, relationships, and referrals. I mean, I don't do a whole lot of I do next to nothing as far as advertising because I don't need to. I just have the connections and the relationships. And I think when you take away, I'm really not in this, and you can testify to this and people that know me well, I am not in this to make a sale. If I walk into a home and my clients say, nah, this isn't it, I am not going to try to talk you into buying this house. I want you to walk away from this 100% happy loving your home. That's why I'm in it. So I think you have good and bad real estate agents, just like you have good and bad doctors in any profession. But I hope at the end of the day, when I look back at my career, that my clients would say, she took care of me. She took care of me from the beginning to the end. And that is why I recommended her to my mom or my sister or my grandma. And she cared. Like I said, I am not in it to make a sale. I mean, yes, that's my job. And when we're in a deal, I'm going to work my darndest to make sure it goes through and make sure everything happens. But I'm doing that for somebody. I'm doing that to help somebody and help them with this journey. Not for me. 
it's for them. And I think I have always, and people have said that even coming off of teaching, it seems like such a strange transition. Like you go from, like you said, it's, it's different, I guess, if you go from mortgages to real estate, that makes more sense. I went from teaching to real estate, which seems like two different worlds. But at the end of the day, I feel like if you're doing it right and you're living life the way I hope that people think or that I'm living my life, it's really about helping people. And it was when I was teaching and it is now in real estate. You're helping somebody, like you said, through this, it could be an emotional time. It could be a happy time. I mean, when I have first time home buyers about to get married and they're, I mean, it's, I love it. I walk out of those closings with a happy heart and I love what I do. And I love being able to take care of people and be there for them through what you said. I mean, for most of us, the most major purchase that you're ever going to make or selling a home that is somewhere they've raised their children. or So I think for me, that being what has driven me in this career, when kind of going back what you touched on with being in the schools and community, and we know each other from PTA. And what's interesting is when I got out of teaching and went into real estate, like I said, my number one goal was to be with my kids more and be involved in their schooling, be able to go up and help in Lexi's classroom at nine o'clock on Thursday mornings for an hour. And I was able to do those things. And what ended up happening in that, which I never would have imagined, but what ended up happening is that I've made over the years, all of these wonderful friendships and relationships and connections and people that know me and know who I am and what I represent or I hope at least. And because of that, then when they did go to sell their house or purchase a house, they called me because they knew who I was. So ironically, what ended up being my goal of being with my family more because of this, in this job or switching careers to be with my family more, that element of it has actually given me, I believe, the success of the career. So what kind of comes around and I guess I just never imagined that being the case, but I'll take it. If you're good to people, I think it comes back to you. And I do feel like that has helped me. Same thing with you. When you're good to people and people see how you live your life and raise your family and they support you and you support them. I think what's really fascinating about what you just explained there is how unintentionally you had planted these seeds all these years ago. and then. It just naturally happened. When I was going through job transition, one of the people that we know similar is Scott Capeller, and he was on our very first episode, and I'll link to that in the show notes, but he talked about how he went through this loss of a job and transition, and I went through something very similar in my corporate career. I think what I learned about that, I, I don't know if I said it myself or the person that was helping me get through it, said it's like, you can only run from your calling your destiny for so long. And for me, that was coming into my firm, Tama, well planning full time. And like you talked about, it was really hard to do what you did on a part-time basis. Just like in the seven years or six years I was building up Tama before I came into full time, it was really hard doing that. And when I look back at the last three years of being in this full time, it's amazing where I've gone from back then to where I'm at today. And just like you, like in the conversations that we've had over the years, you've said over and over, I'm like, it's amazing where I was 
this many years ago to where I'm at now. And like you said, you don't do much of any advertising. It's all word of mouth. It's all these relationships that you've built over the years, all these little seeds that you've planted. And people think like when I'm going through a life transition of selling a house, I'm picking up the phone and calling Jillian. And so that to me, I think goes to the heart of, I think what you and I do in helping people through some at times very difficult life transitions. I agree hundred percent. As we kind of get to the close of our conversation, it wouldn't be a conversation without talking about COVID and the impact on families. And given that you have these three wonderful daughters and a husband that works full-time as well, we run in that similar life situation. Talk to us how it's been with you and your girls and at home. And if you've learned any secrets that you can share with the rest of us trying to balance this chaotic mess called homeschooling. I don't know if you want secrets. I don't know if I have any there. <laughs> We're just, I just keep swimming is what we It's really funny because when COVID first hit and life kind of shut down, it wasn't all bad. I do feel like with three school age kids and we were, everyone's involved in something and we just went from everything to nothing in a matter of a couple of days. And we did have more family time and we were home and we were eating dinner together. And it was, there was a small period of time where it was great. I think now though, fast forwarding, you know, that's been going on so long. And now I think it's more, yes, I mean, the every day of homeschool or even the summer, like, what are we doing? Because even though my job is flexible, it's still there. <laughs> so, it's still a job. It's still it's demanding. Still there. And I can't be sitting here from nine to four doing this. And I have one in middle school, two in elementary. So that part has been rough. I think now even coming into when fall hit, I think the emotional, I know we keep saying emotional, but the emotional weight that this has where my kids, their sports that they've been so involved in and those have shut down. And when are they coming back? And I mean, the school is the largest part of that. I don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. And I think that's what's so hard in all of this of like, if you gave me a date and said, this is when this is over, I would be able to handle this much better than I'm handling it right now. But I think with not going into the nitty gritty decisions that we've had to make, but I've done different things for each of my daughters. And some of those decisions were the hardest I've ever had to make because you really do feel like you're altering their lives in a way. Like if I make this huge change now, is this going to, but I think we all have to give ourselves a little bit of grace and a little bit of compassion this year that none of us would have thought we would ever have to be making the decisions that we've had to make. And I don't think there's a right or wrong. And I think even though we're all maybe in the same river, we are definitely not all in the same boat. And we just have to, the world could use a little more compassion and everyone has to do what is right for them. And because this is not something that our parents or grandparents or, I mean, nobody has ever had to deal with. I mean, it's a joke of 2020, is it almost over? And I mean, it's just, I think for those of us with school age kids, managing the work and the, I mean, all of it, it became, I know for myself as a working mom, feeling like, oh my gosh, I can't do anymore. And then this hit and it was sort of like, you don't have a choice, you have to do it. But it's hard. It's very hard. And I think just 
a lot of grace, a lot of compassion, and maybe a lot of wine. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's just, it has not been easy. And I think it's because we all want what's best for our kids. And we're worried. We're worried at this point. We're worried and we're scared of what this is eventually. If my kid's not in school for a year, what does that do? I mean, that's something that is heavy on our shoulders that you might not understand if you don't have a school age child or they've missed, I mean, these seniors or they've missed all of these things that they won't get back or kindergartners this year. I mean, the biggest part of kindergarten is going in and being at school. So my heart goes out to a lot of people. And I think we all just need to show a little, just know everyone's just making the best decision they can for their families and have compassion and I agree with that wholeheartedly. My closing question for everyone is what is the one thing that you like most about being a parent? Oh gosh. I think when you have kids, you know that you will love them and you know that it's going to be amazing. I think what you don't realize is it's sort of like Someone said one time to me, it's sort of like you have your heart outside of your body and it's running around. And I was like, that is the truest statement I've ever heard because when they're hurting, you're hurting. And it's hard. It's the hardest job you will ever have. But I think watching my kids now that they're getting older, my oldest will be coming up on 14. And I think they're turning into great people. And I think there's nothing more I could ask than to watch that happen and hope I had a part in it. Because yeah, some days are, especially during all of this, parenting is not for the faint of heart, that's for sure. But I love looking at my daughters and seeing who they are and who they are turning into. And that makes me happy. That makes my heart happy. So I hope I've instilled the right things in them. You want them to grow up. Yes, you want them to be successful, but above that, you want them to be happy. You want them to be good people in society and I guess be happy. And that's what I see. And I hope that's. Well, I know you and Marino, your husband personally, and you guys are both great people and great parents. So I know your girls too, and they're going to be just great. So, well, right back to you and Teresa. <laughs> I think that was a great way to wrap up our conversation. Jillian, I can't thank you enough for spending the time with us on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Absolutely. Thank you. I'll link some notes in the show notes on how people can reach out to you if they're interested in getting with you as a real estate agent. But thanks again for being on the show today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And even if anyone ever has just questions, I'm always here. So thanks so much, Paul. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.